I want to say again, uh, the way we opened up, thank you for choosing to be here today. We really believe it when we, when we say to you that we, we believe that uh, God makes divine appointments with His people and that we're all here for a reason. And so thank you for choosing to be here today. Um, thank you for your patience as we deal with our space issues. But uh, Jesus tells us in the Bible that in His Father's house there are many rooms. And so we know that even while we're dealing with space things, we know God has a place for you, for each and every one of you. And so thank you for choosing to be here today. I'm wondering, I asked the crowd at uh, 8.30 this morning, I said, how energetic do you feel? And it was 8.30, it was early, but I got a, I got a reasonably uh, energetic response. So I'm going to ask you at 10.30, how energetic do you feel this morning? Oh, we got to do this more often. That was, that was good. <laughs> Here's what I want to do. I, I want to challenge you this morning. We, one of the wonderful things about being around this place is that we get to meet people that come from so many different experiences. Some great church experiences, some really, really difficult, challenging, make you want to give up on church experiences. Some of you aren't even sure where you're at and what you believe. If that's you, thank you for being here today. But I want to challenge you. We're going through the book of Acts. We're going to be spending a a significant amount of time looking at the book of Acts. And the reason is, the book of Acts is a glimpse into the very early days of the Christian church. We get to see what was happening and what God was doing right at the very beginning. So my challenge for you today is what if everything that we read is true? What does it say about our church today? What does it say about you, your place in the church, and your faith today? The Bible says that God doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. God's always the same. What if that's true? That means that what we read about what happened in the book of Acts in the first church should be what we see in today's church. So what if it's true? What does that do? What does that change your thinking? How does it change your thinking? What if, what if church was different than what we expected or understood? What if church was fun? What if your pastor got up and asked, are you excited? What if church was exciting and interesting and you found yourself at about Wednesday looking forward to going to church on Sunday morning? Because you realize your church family are some of your favorite people in the whole wide world. What if church wasn't what people told you it was? And what if it was what we read about? What if you saw God at work and the things that we read about in the New Testament you saw happening when you went to church? What if we saw God at work right here the way that we see God at work in here? What would it do to you? I know know for certain what it does with some people that scares them away. We've had people, and this is absolutely true, we've had people who've come to us because they had no other options. They literally were out of choices. They came and asked our prayer team to pray with them because the news the doctor gave them had not one glimmer of good news in it. 
And our folks set to praying and God set to healing and they were healed. And you know what their response was? This has happened more than once. We never saw them again. What if God really answers those prayers? Maybe it's kind of a gut check morning before we get too far into the book of Acts. What would you do? What if it was real? Would it draw you close or would it push you away? Would it be too much of God? If so, boy, we need to talk. But what if everything that we read is true? What we're reading in the book of Acts, the reason that we're doing this study on Sunday mornings is because the church that we read in the book of Acts is what God considers normal for the Christian church. And it should be normal for us as Christians today. The things that we read about, the things that are happening, the things that, that is going on are going on with people are normal in God's church. In today's passage, we pick up where Pastor Rich left off last week, and Peter and John have just healed a man, and they made it clear that they healed him in the name of Jesus. Pastor Rich talked about what it must have been like to be that man that day. His ankles were not formed correctly. He'd never been able to walk. He'd never known what it was to stand and look someone eye to eye. He'd spent his whole life on the ground. And Peter and John came up to him and he was begging and he was hoping that they might give him something to help him get through an afternoon or the next day and whatever it was. And they said, you know, silver or gold, we don't have any of that. But what we do have, we'll give you. And what did they have? Jesus. Turns out they believed that if you prayed for someone, God would answer. What they had was the power of the risen Jesus. And as soon as they prayed for him, they, they told the man, now stand up and walk. And he did. And he walked and jumped and leaped and praised God. And the thing that's amazing is that you and I have that same power available to us. That miracle is normal in God's church. Unfortunately, most of us get real suspicious because we see things called miracles that aren't. We see people claiming miracles in order to get our money. We see stuff that really isn't authentic God at all. And so we kind of get jaded. What if it's true? What if a miracle is normal in God's church? What would that do to your faith? What would it do to your expectation? What would it do to how you prayed? Before we go any further, I want to talk about the title of this series for a moment. Why church? Getting back to God's normal. Turns out that those words were very intentionally chosen. Just because a building has space for people to gather, just because people stand up here and play instruments and folks sing, just because people do a speech from a book, doesn't make it a church. It makes it a gathering. Unfortunately, what we have done so much in America today, in so many places, in so many times, is we've strayed unrecognizably far away from what God created the church to be, from who we should be. And if you found your way here this morning, it's probably because, like Pastor Rich said, you're looking for something more. Doesn't mean that we're the best church in the area. Nope doesn't mean there's anything particularly special about us, because there's not. 
But maybe you've grown tired of what America has turned the church into. Maybe you've grown tired of words. Preachers that talk about the Bible and use it as an excuse to teach a message that has very little, if anything, to do with your life. Maybe it just seems like none of it really makes sense anymore. And yet something in you knows there is more. What we're talking about in this series is not church as usual. In fact, we're talking about it as church as unusual. We're talking about being God's church and looking to God's idea of what is normal for us and what is really supposed to be. So as we look in the book of Acts, I want you to ask yourself as I go on today, what if it's real? What if it's true? What if the God that He's talking about actually cares about me? What if that God actually has a place for me? He does. But what if you believed it? So we pick up this passage in Acts where this man's been healed and Peter and John are are doing what they do so well. Peter's preaching. The Bible says that the number of believers went from 3,000 to about 5,000 all at once. God is moving. God's moving fast. People are seeing that God is real. These guys have a fire in their bellies that they can't explain any other way. And God is doing stuff that people can see and there just isn't another explanation for it. And the church is growing. We're reading about how the church is growing and it's doing so because it says the message that Peter and John preach is so simple. It's simply this. They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That thing that we're all afraid of is dying. And Peter and John are saying, you know what, you don't have to be afraid of dying because it's just the beginning. Jesus is alive and He wants you to live forever with Him. The message is about forgiveness of sins and salvation. And people are hearing it and they're responding and God is at work. What if... That happened in our churches today. Well, as one who preaches these messages, there's a bit of a a somber thing in the middle of this one. Do you know what the response for Peter and John and this miracle and 5,000 people becoming a part of the church, you know what happened to them? They got arrested. They got arrested and they got taken away because apparently their preaching was too good. And because it was so good and they're doing these miracles, just like Jesus did, they're a threat to the religious establishment. On verse 5 in Acts, it says, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. It's the same group of people who put Jesus on trial and sent Him to His death. That's how fresh how new this church is. Those men that sent Jesus to the cross are now serving as judge and jury to Peter and John. It's not even a different group of guys that believe the same thing. It is the same group of guys. Probably in the exact same place. That's how early the church is. The men who crucified or convicted and crucified Jesus are now serving as judge and jury to His disciples. Why? What's their crime? They loved a man and in the name of Jesus they healed him. They were caring about people. They were telling people that Jesus was real and that He loved them. 
You'd think that these church leaders would have been excited that a man who had spent his whole life as a beggar, who, who had been lying on the ground outside the gate to their temple, suddenly was up and walking. First time in his life he could look someone eye to eye. You'd think they would be happy. Instead, what they did, these religious leaders arrested the men that they saw as responsible. They thought they'd taken care of this movement. They thought they'd gotten rid of these people with Jesus. But rather than celebrate with this guy his new life, they arrest the men that they think are responsible for it. Verse 7, When they had set them in their midst, the leaders, put John and Peter in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Same question we'd ask. Who do you give credit to? How did it happen? How did you do it? Seems to be real. We've known him as a guy who could never walk, and he's clearly walking. How did you do it? What's the trick? Turns out in the church, we're still looking for ways to try to get power over each other. Peter and John are so clear that the only power in the church is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But these guys want to know, how have you managed to gather thousands of people in so little time? What is it that you're doing? What are you holding over these folks that they come to listen to you? And then further, what are you doing that seems to be actually healing people? We can't explain it, so explain it to us. These evil church leaders wanted to know what was going on. What were Peter and John doing that they could not? In verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, said to them, rulers of the people and of the elders... First thing we've got to notice, Peter is not speaking on his own. Peter is speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever he says is coming straight from God. First thing he does is he's respectful. Rulers of the people and the elders. He gives them their fair place. Romans 12.8 says, We should, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our job shouldn't be divide, to, to cause difficulty, to cause tension. We should, so far as it's possible with us, live peaceably with everyone. Peter starts out filled with the Holy Spirit speaking peaceably. And then he asks a very simple question. He said, If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and Peter begins to take a turn, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and I've got to believe he pointed at these guys, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So much for the niceties. Peter says, you crucified him. You condemned him. You put him to death. But God raised him to a new life. It's in his name because he's still around and he's still at work. They murdered Jesus. God raised Jesus. Peter makes it clear that Peter understands where the power is coming from and he's not going to let these guys be confused one bit. It's not Peter and it's not John. It's Jesus who they crucified, who God raised. Verse 11, This Jesus, he says, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. You guys had a responsibility to recognize Him. You're the builders and you rejected Him. He's become the cornerstone. Even Peter knew that Peter was not the rock that the church was going to be built on. A heresy almost as old as the church. 
The rock that the church is built on, the cornerstone, the foundation is none other than the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. Verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At this point, these guys are realizing, wow, I see why they're gathering such a crowd. This guy's good. Because his message is very new. And in 2,000 years, it hasn't changed a bit. It's that true. Peter says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation. He is our salvation. It is not membership in a church that saves you. It is not your good deeds that saves you. It is not any amount of money that you give that saves you. Jesus alone saves you. All the other stuff we do out of gratitude for being saved... It is not your good deeds or anyone or anything else. The message of the Gospel, very simply, that Peter and John are preaching is that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who saves us. Well, it's got to be starting to get interesting now. These guys that put Jesus to death who have made it clear they don't care about killing people to squash a religious rebellion. You've got to imagine it's going to get interesting. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They're trying to figure out what they can do to take these guys down. And they're thinking, they've got nowhere near the education that we do. They're not as smart as we are. They're common guys. They just just have a job. They haven't gone to extra school. They don't know anything more than we do. They're just common men, and it says that they were astonished. However, something about Peter and John caused these religious leaders to recognize they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus in a personal way. And that gave them a strength and an ability to preach that was different than what these religious leaders had ever known. You want to talk about the more that Pastor Rich talked about last week? How do you access? How do you, how do you grab on to the more you know Jesus in a personal way? You are not the more. I'm not the more. A preacher is not the more. Jesus is the more. They perceived these men had been with Jesus. They knew Him in a personal way. So how about you? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? What if you did? What if you knew Jesus in a personal way? Church isn't a bunch of regulations and rules and duties. Your Christian life wasn't about the things that you had to do or doing good deeds in lieu of anything else. If you know Jesus, the Christian life is about the freedom that you have that He gave for you in His death and resurrection. And you do good things for other people because of what Jesus has done for you. But seeing the man man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
common uneducated men who these leaders had perceived had been with Jesus. All they wanted to do was disregard them. They wanted to rule them out. They wanted to run them out. Problem was, they see this guy that was healed. And he's standing there. He's not on a mat anymore. He's walking on his own two legs. He's not the same guy that he was before these two showed up. They had nothing to say in opposition. These men who were guilty of killing Jesus could say nothing because the man who was healed stood beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition to the 3,000, which became 5,000, which would become billions of people on earth who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus. They've got nothing to say in opposition. They want to. It's why they're there. See, the message they preached, the man who was healed, the good news was not about Peter and John. They were not the foundation of this movement. Jesus, whom these leaders had crucified and whom God was, had raised, He was the foundation. They had done their best to Him. They had put Him to death. They had locked Him in a tomb. And He walked out. God raised Him from the dead. Jesus truly is the rock on which the Christian church is built. And death did not defeat Him. All Peter and John were doing was setting the example for everybody who witnessed. As well as you and I, those religious leaders, everybody that would follow what the Christian church on earth looks like. God at work. God on the move. God doing things in the name of Jesus that cannot be done without Him. That's what these guys are talking about and these men cannot understand. The Holy Spirit is at work. And common, ordinary, uneducated men are doing extraordinary things. Ordinary people like Peter and John. Ordinary people like you and I. What the Bible says is that when the Holy Spirit is at work, we're going to see signs. We're going to see what the Bible talks about, the fruit of His presence. And it isn't going to be out there. It's going to be right here. When we are church as normal, when the Holy Spirit is present in the church, things begin to happen. Lives begin to be changed. And it doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how long you've walked in faith. It doesn't matter how many Bible passages you have memorized. It matters whether you know Jesus in a personal way. What happens when we do when the Holy Spirit is at work? Lives begin to be changed. Families change. Marriages change. Communities change. All for the better. The sick are healed. People who can't walk suddenly can walk. People who can't see can see. Addictions are broken. Marriages restored. Lives transformed. And it's got nothing to do with you and I. It's got everything in the world to do with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the world. Now, does it mean that God does everything that we want? No, God does everything that we need. And we have a tendency to pray for the things that we want, asking God to, to knock items off of our list. But God is a God who gives us what we need. And where that begins is that... Huh, we realize what we need is a Savior. What's amazing about all of it, though, is that God allows you and I to be right in the middle of it. God allows you and I to be right smack in the middle, to be observers, 
to be participants, to be blessed by what God is doing, that is normal in God's church. That's who we're called to be as a Christian church, not just the open door. That's who we're called to be as the Christian church. Normal the way that God created us. I'll tell you what, one thing that I know for sure is you don't come here on a Sunday morning to hear me preach or hear Pastor Rich preach or hear Jeff preach. You come to hear Jesus Christ and Him crucified preach. You come to hear about how it is that you too can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and how through Him you can experience more in your life that can only come from Jesus. And that more only comes when Jesus becomes real. When we engage in a deeply personal relationship with Him. When obedience to Jesus becomes our desire, not our duty. When we do that, we begin to live in obedience to Him. And we begin to get focused more on what we can do for Jesus than what Jesus can do for us. And the simple fact is, in a normal church... Jesus can do a lot more for us than we will ever be able to do for Him. You begin to experience more of the life that Jesus died so that you could live. So what if? Back to what if. What if we stop talking about church? What if we stop complaining about church and all the things that it should be that we wish that it was that it isn't? What if we stop coming up with all the reasons that church isn't what we think it should be? What if we took the Bible seriously and we took God at His Word? And what if we became the church? Not a building that we come to. Not a a beautiful bit of land that surrounds us. What if we became the church? That's the ecclesia that we talked about. We, you and I, are the church. God is at work in us and through us. The Holy Spirit fills us. What if we became the church that we read about? What if we believed and started expecting to see and to be a part of the things that we read about? Not because we're special. Not because our church is special. Because we simply and truly believe in God's Word for us today. That it is real today as of the day that it was written. So here's something I know for a fact. Jesus didn't die so that you could live a mediocre life as a Christian. I know that for a fact because God did not create the Christian church to be a boring and mediocre bride for Christ. God created us to be so much more. See, Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven and we could live in an extraordinary life in Him as a part of His church. You and I, we're the ordinary, common people that those church leaders saw when they looked at Peter and John. But what happens is that God uses ordinary, common people to do extraordinary things through Jesus still today. You say there's nothing special about you, you're in good company. You say that your sin is too much, you're in good company. You say that you don't know enough, you're in good company. You say that you don't have gifts and skills and talents that are really going to help your church, you're in good company. What if you were exactly who God created and needed you to be? 
What if who you are today and where you are in your life is exactly where God needs you to be so that He can start working on you? What if? What kind of church would we be if we believed that? It's my hope and it's my prayer that you're here today because you want to be a part of a church that strives and is committed to being nothing more nothing less. That, a ch- that is a church that is normal to God. A church that's filled with extraordinary people that do extraordinary things because we have become empowered by an extraordinary God. God isn't asking us to be any more than common, ordinary, everyday people. But He's asking us to be common, ordinary, everyday people who put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus and who are willing to allow His Holy Spirit to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. What if we lived like that? What if rather than talking to yourself about all the things that you're not, you took the words of the song seriously? What if you believe that you are exactly who He says you are? What if you are at the place and in the time and you are the person that God needs you to be so that He can begin to do extraordinary things through you? What if? Let's pray. God, thank You that You sent Your Son Jesus to live, to die, and to be raised from the grave so that we don't have to wonder what if You're real. We don't have to wonder what if I'm forgiven. We don't have to wonder what if or what will happen when I die. We can know all of those things. God, thank You for what You did for us in Jesus that we could not do for ourselves. God, help us to be the kind of people and the kind of Christian church who focuses on what is most important, and that is You. On what You are doing in us and with us and through us, through Jesus. Through Your Holy Spirit. And God, the questions that we maybe ask now are, what if You answer that prayer that I pray so boldly? What if You love that person as much as I do? What if You love that person more than I do? God, thank You for the way that You are working in each and every one of us. We recognize all too well that we are but common and ordinary and everyday people. But God, what if we actually believe that You truly were the extraordinary God the Bible tells us that You are? Thank You. Amen. This is my last thought for today. On the, on, the, on the run sheet, it always says last thoughts. So here's my last thoughts. I want to challenge you today with that message. Here's how I want to challenge you. Bring God your what-ifs and then believe them. Here's what I mean. Think about what your life might be like. What if God gave you love for that person that you worked so hard to hate? What if God moved in your heart and you realized you needed to forgive that person that will never say they're sorry the way you've been forgiven? What if You trusted in God to take from you a desire that you know is not godly. What if you believed in God to remove from you an addiction that you can't conquer on your own?
What if God did what you can't on your own without Him? What is your what if? What are your what ifs? Bring them to God. It's called a prayer. And here's the awesome thing. is see, God already made a plan for this. And here's the plan. When we all end a prayer, I don't care if it's the first prayer you've ever prayed in your whole life, we all end with the same word. What is it? Amen. So you pray and say, God, what if you actually took this from me? And I pray that you do. You know what's awesome is you pray amen. And that's the last word you say. And you know what amen means? May it be so. May it be so. Give God your what-ifs and then believe that He's going to respond and answer. What if you did? Who would you be? What would it do to your faith? 